WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Are you sick and tired of politicians that don't listen to voters? They get into office and then forget the rest of us. Well, here's your chance to be heard. This week, you can weigh in on what Charlotte will look like in 20 years. The city's inviting you and other members of the public, all of us, to come share your opinion on the Charlotte Future 2040 comprehensive plan during the city council meeting. We'll tell you how to sign up in just a few minutes, but first, the plan itself. It's received a lot of attention in recent weeks. It really maps out the, the who, what, where, when, why, when it comes to development in the Queen City over the next two decades. It aims to make Charlotte more equitable, inclusive, diverse, connected, innovative, make it a better place to live for everybody. And as Charlotte grows, the plan aims to increase housing options and decrease commute times. And as you're about to find out, support for the plan does not, does not fall along partisan lines. Joining us now, Charlotte City Councilwoman Victoria Watlington, a Democrat representing the fine folks of District 3. Uh, Councilwoman, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, so when it comes down to this plan, it, it, it's a little complicated, but, but unlike some of your fellow Democrats will say that, uh, you've come out against part of it. Why? Mm -hmm. Sure, because while the plan has a lot of great components and I think it's getting us generally in the right direction, there are some things that I really believe may do us more harm than good if we don't get thoughtful about the approach. And, and specifically, I, I know the single family housing portion of it is getting a lot of attention. Specifically, what, what part of it don't you like? Sure. So in Section 2.1, it talks about um, creating a policy that would allow all lots that are currently zoned single family to allow up to a duplex or triplex on those lots. And that's the part that is concerning to me because what that means for neighborhoods like mine is that investors are now incentivized in a way to take the properties that many of them already own and create duplexes. In, in North Carolina, you cannot purchase half of a duplex as a homeowner. Um, unless it is made into a condo. And so what that means is that rental properties then become the norm more so than single family home ownership opportunities within these communities. There's a caveat to that in that, of course, deed restrictions, HOA contracts and covenants um, will supersede whatever policy uh, we put in place. Unfortunately, many of our most vulnerable neighborhoods don't have those kinds of uh, legislation or I'll say contracts between the homeowners that would protect them from these kinds of things. We already see in these neighborhoods in the inner ring um, that investors have come in and bought up many of the lots and we're seeing many of those older homes being torn down and larger homes being put in their place. That already has impacts on gentrification and displacement. However, it is at least creating a home ownership option. As we look at this policy, again, 2.1 in the comp plan, it creates a situation where people will be incentivized, in my opinion, to do things that don't create equity in our most vulnerable neighborhoods. I mean, you've said, you know, a plan that that is supposed to be sort of a, a beacon of progressiveness is actually ending up hurting uh, some of the people, some of the communities progressives often uh, say they fight for. Right. If we don't if we don't take a very, very skilled approach and thoughtful approach to how we implement these policies, then I believe that we're going to be worse off than where we were trying to be. And, and it's interesting. And, 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 I was supposed to say, you say could really impact neighborhoods like neighborhoods in West Charlotte, as opposed to, say, mm -hmm. the South Parks or the Ballantines of Charlotte. Correct, because those neighborhoods often have HOAs and deed restrictions. Mm -hmm. 
Gotcha. Uh, I want to bring up something that a colleague of yours ha had said when it comes to this issue, uh, Braxton Winston. He tweeted this out a few weeks ago saying single family zoning is a tool of segregation. If you are fighting to maintain single family zoning, you are advocating for segregation. Stop being racist, Charlotte. Where is he wrong? So I will say this. There are a couple of things that I think of when I when I read this tweet. The first thing is that we've got to be very careful not to call anybody racist or ageist or any of these things without a full understanding about their position, right? Um, I think that especially last night I had an opportunity in my town hall to hear from community leaders all over District 3. And the one takeaway that I thought really resonated with listeners was that we are so different. Everybody has different needs. And if we want to maintain that diversity in this city, we've got to ensure that we right size our policies for different kinds of people who are looking for different things. And so I, I, I always hesitate to paint anything with a broad brush in that way. Uh, secondly, we understand that tools can be used by anybody towards an intent. Uh, Councilmember Renee Johnson in a town hall earlier this week brought up a very good point. The Constitution itself was used as a tool for racism. And so while understanding the historical context of a particular tool, we also need to understand that that same tool can be used to, to counteract the effects of racism. Because at the end of the day, for me, racism is not about your heart. You can feel however you want to feel, but what you will not do is disenfranchise people. And so putting policies in place that could create a lack of equity or perpetuate a lack of equity in which black and brown people have zero ownership over their neighborhoods, that puts them at more risk for displacement. That is economic slavery. And I don't think that's what anybody wants. Uh, we, we can punch it back up again, but the, but the, the policy that 2.1, page 103, when it comes down mm -hmm. to the, the duplexes and triplexes and single-family housing, get rid of that or fine-tune that. Are you on board? Um, if we fine-tune 2.1, so ultimately what I'm looking for is an opportunity to create a policy that will support variety of zoning types. I believe that we absolutely can keep exclusively single family zoning designation. I think there's a place for a, zone, a flexible zoning designation uh, that is described in 2.1. The issue I have is all lots. Change all lots to all place types and then we know that we've got an opportunity to plan a neighborhood that can incorporate both and then I'm on board. It's, a, it's an important nuance that would really make a difference regardless of how you come down uh, on the uh, on the vote. Um, all right, Councilwoman, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us. And we want to remind the folks at home, you can speak up by uh, going to charlottenc.gov slash city clerk or calling the city clerk's office 704-336-2248. I can go have your voice be heard. Uh, deadline 9 a.m. Monday. Speaker's going to have two minutes to speak at the city council meeting, let them know how you feel. By the way, if you wanna see the whole plan, read it all in its entirety, you can go to cltfuture2040.com, some light reading over the weekend. Again, our thanks to the councilwoman. More Flashpoint, another side of this issue coming up after the break. 
really desperate. Local business owner Craig Ray applied for a government loan to keep his business going. But when his request got stalled, Craig contacted the defenders and asked, where's the money? I know that after you contacted them, things moved pretty fast. Just glad we could help you. If you're asking where's the money and feeling financial pressure, the WCNC Charlotte Defenders are here to help. Email us at thedefenders at WCNC.com. We're there to get you answers to where's the money, only on WCNC Charlotte. Welcome back to Flashpoint. We continue to talk about the Charlotte Future 2040 Comprehensive Plan. And joining us now, the chair of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Planning Commission, Sam Spencer. Sam, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Uh, what is what is your thought? I mean, you're you're helping promote this idea. I, I know you're supportive of it. Uh, what is the most misunderstood part of it? If you could clear up any confusion at this point, what would it be? Um, I think that there's a lot of I, I don't know where to start, but I, I think number one, if you haven't read the plan or you haven't read the executive summary, read the plan, read the executive summary, because what this is, what this comprehensive plan truly boils down to is a culmination of all of the conversations that we've been having in Charlotte for the past 10 years. When we've been talking about um, economic mobility since the Chitty study came out, we've been talking about racial justice in the wake of the Keith Lamont Scott shooting and many other acts of police violence. When we've been talking about um, everything that we need to do with sustainability when it comes to the you know real threat of climate change, when it comes to um, the affordable housing conversation that we've been having the past couple of years was only, uh, you know, even more prescient when we when we saw what was happening um, with our uh, homeless neighbors on, you know, 12th Street at 10th City over the past year. All of these conversations have come together into this comprehensive plan. It's the results of, you know, over uh, 5,000 people making their voices heard. It's um, over 300 community advisors and, um, you know, strategic partners. It's the planning commission, it's the city staff. Um, so I, I think that's the, that's really the big, biggest thing that people don't, don't understand and that I'd like to bring attention to. This is us. This is all of our voices together in the plan. And, you know, when you bring everybody to the table, um, you know, there might be one or two things that you, you disagree with, but on the whole, as a culmination, this is everything that we've been talking about over the past 10 years, and this is a real plan to move forward. All right, let's talk about what the, sort of the elephant in the room that everybody talks about, the single family um, housing uh, issue in this. And what do you say to folks? I, I know Council Member Watlington has said um, that this doesn't need to be a one size fit all. And the idea of getting rid of, of, of land that's exclusively single family is not necessary. Why do you say that that it is going forward at least? Well, so so number one, um, this I think that that's another misconception. This plan doesn't eliminate single family zoning. What it does is it makes neighborhoods like Myers Park, Dilworth, Elizabeth legal again. It means that you know if you're a if you're a small guy, a small time developer, or a homeowner or a landowner, you get the choice of uh, what kind of housing types that you wanna build in your neighborhood, they still need to meet the standards of that neighborhood. If you're in a historic district, they still need to follow those rules. If you're in a HOA or a master planned neighborhood, they still need to follow those rules. But it does give you the choice so that, you know, I, I, think, I think one of the big things here is that we have an equity issue. And big developers get to do what pretty much whatever they want in Charlotte. Um, 
they're able to go in neighborhoods right now. And, you know, most of our city council has voted numerous times for these projects where you have a huge, dense 10 to 20, 30 even units per acre uh, project that they've approved, that they put right next to single family housing. Um, and in neighborhoods that have established uh, community associations and neighborhoods that are wealthy enough to afford lawyers, um, you know, they extract concessions from developers. They're able to get uh, money for sidewalks, money for parks, road improvements, stuff like that. And unfortunately, um, in some of our neighborhoods that have less investment, uh, the developers have been able to go in, do the same thing. Um, and there aren't as many benefits that, for the community. There's not that same type of negotiation. But, but, but so I just want to just let me interrupt, interrupt you real quick, because I feel like that, that everybody wants to, you know, make sure that, that marginalized communities are, are taken care of going forward and make sure that's part of the plan. But there does seem to be some disagreement about, about the effects of something like this. Some people say, well, yeah, you could have a developer goes in and, and buys these single family lots, you know, for cheap in West Charlotte and then put a, a bunch, bunch of multifamily dwellings on there and make a ton of money. They're not going to be doing that in Valentine. What do you say to that? What, what I'm saying to that is, that, you know, that's already happening right now, Ben. And, and so what this plan does, um, what it helps us do is it, whenever we have uh, conventional rezonings across the, the city, can, you know, you have more of the benefits of good planning, good regulations, um, good growth that get to happen in every part of our community. Um, the UDO that's going to be a result of that. Uh, that's going to help make this happen, and I, and I think that that's sort of the misnomer here because there's no there's no end to single family zoning. Um, people can still build, you know, pretty much what what is allowed in our neighborhoods right now. Um, it's not going to change the character of the neighborhoods because honestly, uh, you know, if you're looking at this, the economics don't work out for those big developers. If you know if they really want to come in and do something to make money. They're going to go through the zoning process because they honestly they, they know that they'll usually get the vote that they want so what the plan does is it makes it so that you know if you're in a neighborhood that doesn't have a strong community association you don't have that investment now you've got more tools in the toolbox through this plan to make sure that the growth that comes to your neighborhood grows right for your neighborhood one comparison I, I, I've seen and, and I heard before, even when we spoke about this a few weeks ago, is, is it, it would sort of look um, more like a Dilworth or Elizabeth or, or some of the historical neighborhoods around Uptown in that you would have duplexes or, or, or triplexes uh, next to regular homes and, and it would have that sort of neighborhood feel. Uh, at least that's what you're going for. Absolutely. There, you know, and let's, let's talk about that because if you bought a house in Dilworth uh, 30 years ago, um, with that kind of character and you know you're coming towards the age where you need to pass on generational wealth to your kids uh, you really hit the jackpot um, you know your house in Dilworth you could have bought it for 100 200 thousand dollars you might be selling it for a million dollars these days um, and so I, I think that's a you know when we're talking about the character and the fabric of our neighborhoods that's really important um, but we also don't talk about all the other benefits of this because you know let's let's throw out the affordability, let's throw out the single family conversation for a second. Charlotte is growing fast. We need more units. Um, we need more places for people to live. If people don't have places to live, two things are going to, one of two things are going to happen. Either housing is going to continue to become more and more unaffordable, 
where our city is going to continue to sprawl. We're going to have, you know, we're going to be farther away from amenities. We're going to be farther away from parks, farther away from our friends, farther away from everything that we need to have a, you know, good, healthy, fulfilling life. Um, and, you know, not to mention all the terrible environmental impacts that that has. So one of the things that's the focus of this plan is, is 10 minute neighborhoods. And the more housing options, the more freedom of choice that people have within single family zoning, um, that means we're going to have more people that are going to be able to experience um, 10 minute neighborhoods and be able to get everything they need um, within their neighborhood. And at the same time, um, you know, more people are going to have the option to pick their transit option, whether that's using cats, using links, um, you know, using Uber, walking, biking, or having a car, because a big part of the affordability conversation in this plan that we're not really talking about is that it costs $7,000 every year uh, on average to own a car in the city of Charlotte. All right, Sam, Sam got to interrupt you, man. Got to interrupt you. Unfortunately, the last point is a half hour, <laughs> not an hour, <laughs> despite the protests of many people. All right, Sam Spencer, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. And a reminder as we go to break, this is how you can sign up and speak at this week's city council meeting. Voice your opinion. Thank you for making WCNC.com your number one choice for local TV news on your phone and in your home. And trusting us on Facebook by giving WCNC Charlotte more followers than any other local TV news source. Thanks again for making us number one. Download the WCNC Charlotte News app and find out why WCNC.com is the number one choice for local TV news on your phone and in your home. The number one local choice for TV news is WCNC.com. Download the WCNC News app today. Experience the difference. Thank you for making WCNC.com your number one choice for local TV news on your phone and in your home and on Facebook by giving WCNC Charlotte more followers than any other local TV news source. Thank you for making WCNC.com your number one choice for local TV news on your phone and in your home. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Well, up until this point on Flashpoint, we've been talking about things like affordable housing. And now the federal moratorium banning evictions set to expire at the end of this month. Across the country, Americans owe an estimated $57 billion in back rent. If it's not paid, millions of renters could be evicted. As WCNC Charlotte's Savannah Levin shows us, with federal protections expiring, this could all soon come to a head. President Biden has extended protections for homeowners like mortgage forbearance, but not for renters, which means it's time for millions to pay up. And so many simply can't. We don't have any help. You know, we just feel like we're lost in the world. Natasha Pendergrass has a story like so many others. Her unemployment checks inexplicably stopped. We would just call and call and call and call and we could never get any help. The bills piling up, leaving her and her fiance teetering on the edge of homelessness. Every single um, bill collector they would call every day. The power bill was, I had already got the cancellation. They were fixing to come cut that off. I mean, we didn't even have like any food to eat in the house. Our defenders team was able to get their case resolved. Oh my God, it was such a relief. I honestly, I couldn't believe that it had came through because I had spoke to you. And by the very next day, we had already got paid and it just showed me how big of a voice that I really didn't have. But still so many like Camilla Harvey are stuck in a hole. Just a couple of days ago, my power was turned off. I don't want to be homeless. It's a valid and imminent fear for so many. 
An eviction moratorium put in place by the CDC in September has protected renters from being evicted, but they're still on the hook to pay. According to Moody's analytics data, the average renter protected under this order is four months behind on rent, owing at least $5,600. Maybe their finances have rebounded a little bit. Maybe they're able to make their monthly payments now, but they still have this past payments kind of hanging over their head. Chris Winston, spokesman for SC Housing, encouraged people in his state to apply for the SC Stay Rental Assistance Program. But just days later, they stopped taking applications due to overwhelming demand. The same happened with North Carolina's HOPE program, leaving many with no hope at all. My landlord told me about different programs, and I applied to all of them. I applied to SC State, hoping to get some assistance to keep me from being homeless. Everyone I've basically spoken with has run out of funds. Housing advocates predict at least 400,000 renters in North and South Carolina will be evicted when the moratorium expires. It's not just renters. An estimated 10 million homeowners are currently behind on mortgage payments. And a growing number of landlords are going into foreclosure, unable to pay their own bills. I know several landlords are putting their houses on the market due to not having tenants that are paying rent. President Biden recently extending the foreclosure moratorium and mortgage forbearance program to June 30th. But neither forbearance nor the moratorium erase what you owe. They just delay the inevitable. It's like putting a band-aid on your neck after you've got your head chopped off. Leaving so many in a vicious cycle of growing debt, asking, pleading, where's the money? Y'all really had a voice, you know, with helping people in North Carolina, and I really appreciate it because I don't know what I would have done without you guys. Reporting for WCNC Charlotte, I'm Savannah Levins. More Flashpoint after this. We're really desperate. Local business owner Craig Ray applied for a government loan to keep his business going. But when his request got stalled, Craig contacted the defenders and asked, where's the money? I know that after you contacted them, things moved pretty fast. Just glad we could help you. If you're asking where's the money and feeling financial pressure, the WCNC Charlotte Defenders are here to help. Email us at thedefenders at WCNC.com. We're there to get you answers to where's the money, only on WCNC Charlotte. Before we leave, a father going viral this week with a lesson for all of us. For years, he struggled with the thought of having a transgender daughter till he realized she's just like all the other kids out there wanting love and wanting acceptance. He was begging lawmakers in Missouri not to pass a ban on transgender athletes in school sports. I posted on Facebook, quote, we're all learning. And this father is a prime example of what can happen when we empathize with others, educate ourselves and challenge the comforts of our long-held beliefs. For this man, it came after a heartbreaking encounter with his daughter. For the rest of us, it simply takes a little curiosity and a lot of compassion. It's not an easy issue by any means, but, but as the greatest country on earth, surely we can find a compassionate and fair path forward for, for all kids involved. Come interact with me on both my Twitter and Facebook pages. Let me know what you think. If there's something you want us to cover here on Flashpoint, let me know. We're here. And we'll see you back here next weekend. Have a great week.